This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Moshek. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Hello and welcome. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am J.D. Layton. I am joined in studio by the other news director, my co-hostess with the mostest. Emily Moshak. As well as our veritable gaggle of reporters, we have... Ren Wadsworth. As well as... Katie Otter. And we are also joined in studio by Dr. McPhail from the CSU Veterinary Teaching Hospital, and we'll be hearing her from her in just a minute after the break, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we have your local newscast. I'm Katie Otter with your local news. Some breaking news just now. The Colorado State University Public Safety Team has just issued an alert at 325 to the CSU community. Quote, Due to an incident at the railroad tracks at Mulberry Street, the east side of campus is blocked at the tracks. Traffic on and off campus from the east side between the railroad tracks and College Avenue is blocked from Mulberry south to Prospect. Avoid College Avenue and the east side of campus. Enter or exit campus from the west off of Shield Street. End quote. According to Denver 7 News, it has been confirmed by the Fort Collins Police Department that there has been a death associated with the incident. We are unsure of the circumstances, but we'll update the story as soon as more information breaks. The Larimer County Sheriff's Office obtained a second-degree kidnapping arrest a warrant for Willie McDonough, who is being accused of kidnapping a liquor store employee in Berthoud. On the evening of February 2nd, McDonough entered Berthoud Hometown Liquor, where he is a regular customer, and asked for a ride, claiming his car was out of gas. A female employee of the liquor store agreed to give him a ride, and they left the store together. McDonough uh, convinced the woman that he should, try, he should drive her car, and instead of driving back to his home, he drove to the Sheraton Denver Downtown Hotel. The Denver Police Department was called on McDonough after he disrupted a large group in a ballroom inside the hotel. When Denver police arrived, they arrested McDonough for carrying a weapon without a permit, and he was booked into the Denver City Jail. The woman was found safe and uninjured and was not threatened with his weapon. Three days later, on February 5th, police obtained a warrant for McDonough's arrest on kidnapping charges. He was taken back to the Denver City Jail, and then posted a $20,000 bond later that afternoon. This investigation is ongoing, and the Larimer County Sheriff's Office is asking anyone with information to call investigator Drew Weber at 970-498-5172. A festival for lovers of craft beer will take place on Valentine's Day. This festival is organized by Fort Collins Downtown Business Association, and will have a total of 19 breweries from northern Colorado, reports Jacob Blackson of the Coloradan. The event is called the Summit at Block 1 and is located at 420 Linden Street. The festival is in its second year and will be from 6 to 9 p.m. Tickets are $65 with about 200 available. 
Last year, the event sold out. Participating breweries include Black Bottle Brewing, Cooper Smith's Pub and Brewing, Horse and Dragon Brewing, Red Truck Beer, as well as White Claw Hard Seltzer. In addition to unlimited beer, there will be a number of food options to pair with the beer. For more information on the Summit at Block 1, visit downtownfortcollins.com. By now, you might have heard about the mountain lion attack at Horsetooth Mountain Park earlier this week. An unidentified trail runner was attacked from behind by a young mountain lion and suffered punctured wounds to the face and wrists before ending the lion's life with his bare hands. Now, many questions have arose as to why this mountain lion decided to attack the man who was trail running. The lion's body was so badly eaten by other animals by the time officers arrived on the scene that the necropsy uh, could not determine the animal's sex or accurate weights, reports Miles Bloomhart of the Coloradan. According to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, the mountain lion tested negative for rabies. Horsetooth Mountain Park will remain closed until at least Friday when CPW will have a chance to reassess the situation. Since it has been determined that the lion was a juvenile, it may be possible that there was a sibling or mother lion in the vicinity of the attack. Mountain lions typically birth two to three kittens throughout the year, which can make age identification a difficult task. The trail on which the attack happened is a commonly populated trail, so it is hard to determine why the lion kitten would decide to attack. CPW terrestrial biologist Ty Petersburg says that the kitten's predatory instincts could have been triggered by the motions of the trail runner. While mountain lion attacks are rare, it is important to remember to never approach wildlife. If you do happen to approach a mountain lion, remember to back away slowly and to make yourself look as big as possible. A graduate study has revealed the significant historical impact of women at Colorado State University, reports Raven Color of the Collegian. A graduate student with the Communication Studies Department, Emily Amendy, set out on an archival research project to determine the involvement of women throughout CSU's history. She thought that she was going to find a severe lack of women's involvement, but instead she found that the women that women have been involved at Colorado State since the very beginning. Amity discovered through her research that the first graduating class, which had a grand total of three students, included one woman named Elizabeth Libby Coy. MND says that she does not believe that the history of uh, women at CSU has been covered up intentionally, but that women's involvement in shaping this university uh, isn't just isn't talked about very much. She also says that people need to discuss the role of women in the development of higher education institutions. For your local news, I'm Katie Otter with KCSU. Thank you, Katie. And we will be talking more about the mountain lion in our local roundtable coming up later in the show. But we're going to take a quick break, so keep that dial locked for our interview with Dr. McPhail only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Emily Moshak, and I am joined in studio by my co-host, J.D. Layton. Our reporters, <laughs> Ren Wadsworth. Katie Otter. And our very special guest, Dr. McPhail, the Associate Professor of Small Animal Surgery and the Small Animal Medical Officer at Colorado State University's Veterinary Teaching Hospital. Yes. Is that all right? <laughs> Most of that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Great. 
So we are here primarily to talk about Annie, yeah, who is a little kitten who the CSU's hospital was able to save because she was born with a heart defect. Yeah, can you tell us her story, how she came to CSU? Yeah, so Annie is one of actually probably about fifty to seventy dogs and cats that. Uh, this Colorado State University Veterinary Teaching Hospital is able to help that are in shelters and rescues. And this, she has really been a nice highlight of our program that's called SAST, and it's Saving Animals in Shelters Through Teaching. Uh, the CSU Veterinary Teaching Hospital has a complicated mission of being, you know, world-class, tr- you know, tertiary referral, cutting-edge level of veterinary care, yet balanced with the mission of teaching uh, veterinary students, especially with regards when it comes to surgery and surgical techniques, and it's a, a big challenge. And this shelter program we've had originated in 2005, um, and then we had a little bit of lack of funding, but really came back with a vengeance, I suppose, about five or six years ago with renewed funding and support from our director's office to allow us to identify um, dogs and cats from really our partnering shelters here in, in Fort Collins as well as in the region that have surgically correctable conditions that with a good prognosis that are amenable to us to allow further and more comprehensive uh, training, not only of our students, but of our young doctors, our interns and residents. So Annie in particular um, was uh, contacted from a former grad, uh, veterinary uh, alumni uh, that's now in Albuquerque and working at the Albuquerque uh, Welfare Fund that's close and I apologize not quite right uh, Dr. Nicole Vihill and she had contacted our cardiology department about Annie our scope really is limited to Colorado but with an alumni um, and a great opportunity to help the little kitten we brought her up here to CSU her defect is congenital it's one of the most common that dogs and cats are born with and it is either correctable through surgery or through interventional techniques but associated with a great deal of cost and most kittens and puppies that are identified with this condition in shelters are typically euthanized Mm -hmm. but this is such a great opportunity to train my residents in this surgery because being at CSU, we have world-class interventional cardiology that addresses this condition without surgery, but therefore my residents miss these training opportunities to fix this. So in short, which it was in short, um, Annie um, went underwent uh, surgery for this procedure very successfully and recovered and with with surgical correction, the prognosis for a good life is outstanding. So it is an overall win um, for the kitten, for the training of my residents, and then for just the overall morale of our hospital and be able to um, help these shelter, help these shelter puppies and kittens have a good life, and then um, and then as well as benefit from uh, the learning aspects of it. That is awesome. Um, were you expecting the surgery to be successful, considering how young and tiny Annie was when she came in, or were you a little nervous? <laughs> um, it's a surgery that uh, one should always be nervous about. It's it's a relatively common condition. 
Um, but the surgery itself is is associated with about a 5% mortality rate. It is the heart, um, and it is essentially it's tying off a, a fetal vessel that didn't close after the puppy or kitten was born. And so there is a very, very small potential for that vessel to be torn, which is why training our residents in this surgery is so critical, because they may leave here and go out to another institution or private practice that doesn't have uh, that alternative to surgery available. So there's always there's always <laughs> a degree of anxiety that should be associated with the surgery, but overall success is greater than 95%. And actually, as just yesterday, uh, we did the exact same procedure in an adorable little black long-haired chihuahua from the Denver oh, Animal oh. Shelter oh named Buttercup. Um, she's <laughs> ridiculous. She's like basically Annie, but she's a dog. Um, oh. and it looks almost identical. And so, you know, we're just really thankful to our communications team and development team to highlight Annie and bring attention to this program, to our shelter program. Okay. And how many shelters does CSU work with? And, and I guess how many of surgeries of this caliber do you really get to see in a year? Yeah, it's... It's, it's actually quite extensive. We um, obviously partner mostly with Larimer Humane, um, and that is our primary um, relationship there. But through our other departments and sections of our hospital and training and teaching of our students, we work very closely with Weld County, Cheyenne Animal Shelter, um, also Humane Society of Boulder Valley, Denver Dumb Friends League, Denver Animal Shelter, and then locally, rescues, that's a topic for a different day of shelters, how are shelters and rescues different? But um, Animal House, as well as Fort Collins Cast Rescue, we've had long relationships with those organizations. So we, most of our cases come from them. That said, we do, um, we do accept animals from private rescues. Um, we do like to have a veterinarian associated with those if possible. And we do have a selection process that we go through to make sure that it fits our protocol, that it's, a pro it's an appropriate case to be utilizing our, um, our program and as well as our funds, because nothing is free. And that's always a reminder that we're saving shelter animals and puppies, but it's nothing is free. We have overhead costs to cover tangible costs. And so we do have a budget that I will say, um, just as a shout out, that we are supported not only by industry, but also by a private donor, as well as individual donations to support that program throughout the year. And if somebody wanted to donate, where would they go for that? Yeah, so just the main, actually, CSU um, donation sites, the Advancing Colorado State, and the this program, Saving Animals um, from Shelters Through Teaching, is actually part of Nanny Buju Legacy Fund. Nanny Buju is a dog, a 13-year-old Newfoundland Labrador cross who's still alive. Actually, we'll see her tomorrow as she oh. comes up from Breckenridge. And it's her owners, Linda and Paul Shutt, that have, um, have, have these two funds that they support uh, to support some research with regards to gastrointestinal disease um, by Dr. Craig Webb, one of our internists, and then the shelter program, um, our Saving Animals and Shelters Through Teaching. And certainly, we're very much welcome to other donations, but they're our primary donor and just a lovely, lovely couple and a great supporter of, of the veterinary teaching hospital. That's awesome. Is it hard to say goodbye to these animals once you're done working with them? I could not imagine even doing that. Um, that's actually a very true statement because um, Buttercup in particular is 
adorable. And um, <laughs> one of the things, we do have a SOP. It's actually like a 19-point SOP for our program. And one of those line items is, I am not in the adoption business. We bring them in, we fix them, we learn from them, and then we return them to the shelter to have them go through their normal adoption processes, even though with vet students and staff, um, there's a lot of interest, and so, but again, that's not my role, and so certainly letting these animals go, go back to the shelters or rescue they came from is of great benefit to their public relations and their, their um, impression on the community. So little Annie did go back to Albuquerque. I'm sure she has a very, very long list, and Buttercup <laughs> um, is probably actually on her way back to Denver Animal Shelter um, this afternoon, but it is... Is quite hard because they're bet. real cute. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Have there been other animals that have stood out over the course of your career, oh. particular cases that oh. really stuck with you? Um, not to make it personal, um, but uh, about yes, about six seven years ago, a Labrador mixed puppy was brought in by a Good Samaritan, and when that happens, they immediately fall under Larimer Humane, and she had a fractured femur, fractured leg, and it was right around the holidays that with the hold because she wasn't owned, but the really the urgency in fixing fractures in puppies um, is quite is quite significant. The delay just lends to complications. Um, is actually I ended up adopting her and actually instead of paying th- through it through um, our shelter program, I actually paid for her repair individually. Um, so I adopted her um, as a result of that. But that's how that works. If someone is absolutely in love with an animal that shows up at our doorstep from a shelter or rescue that needs surgery. It doesn't fall into our program, and then the, whoever's interested in adopting it will pay for that themselves. And so I actually did do that. Um, and so, but yeah, there's numerous. I think I'm, I missed the question. Like, it is about we do about 50 to 70 cases a year, and um, that you know, there I have endless pictures for our uh, our private donor, our support. I do a slideshow for them every year of the cases that have come through. Um, and a variety of conditions. Heart conditions are one, a lot of um, orthopedic injury, some amputations, a lot of eye work with our ophthalmology department. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's just all facets of teaching um, are broached with this program. That's fantastic. Do you ever get nervous going into these surgeries with your residents that, you know, something may happen because of an experience? And yeah. I, how, how do you necessarily guide them through that? Yeah, that, that's a great question because I think I, we, we are very careful, you know, that this is an experimentation. This is, this is teaching and training. And most of our cases, we have a plan is, made, is brought together by the student intern resident involved, and then it's supervised by the faculty member. So at a minimum, we are there in the room um, and then can guide verbally while watching what's going on. I will say for Annie's case and Buttercup's case, that surgery is so delicate um, and there is there's a small period of time where it's getting it done that at that point I scrub in and I said it is a step-by-step walking my resident through that but they do the entire surgery so um, but that's it's actually I will say is one of the things that I love most about being in veterinary academic medicine and SAST brings it all together from you know saving puppies and kittens and yet then but also teaching and training and looking at that growth is so fulfilling. And so, um, so yeah, I get a little nervous, but that's why I'm there. And um, my residents have done a great job. We've um, saved probably, 
I need to update the spreadsheet, but it's over. I know it's over three dozen, so over 35, 36 oh, wow. puppies and kittens with PDAs with that particular heart defect in the last probably four to five years. Oh, wow. So all those puppies and kittens would otherwise be euthanized. Excellent prognosis. They get rehomed and live a long, happy life. That is so. just fantastic. <laughs> it's really great to see how CSU is able to not only train, but also produce such a positive outcome. Yeah, it's great. Dear and dear. Yeah. Besides from the small animals, what are the other animals that CSU Veterinary Hospital works with? Overall or? Overall. Like, um, everything. Everything? <laughs> yeah, like everything. Maybe everything. a better question is what is the strangest animal that you've seen? Oh, but there's a there's a few of those as well. I, the, always the one that comes to my mind. We do have our full um, avian and exotics department, and that's always where the the cool things come through. Versus our livestock and equine and small ruminant. Um, so I say for me, I, uh, I we do partner with the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo down in Colorado Springs, and it was about two years ago. I had the privilege of of going down there and operating on a 450 pound tiger. Oh wow, um, so that's wow. pretty always pretty cool. And then. But in hospital, one of the crazy things I think we see are the pythons, um, that reptile, a very common condition in birds and reptiles is they get egg bound, and that mm. requires surgery. But these pythons, we've had two in the last couple of years, are 15 and 18 feet long. So we have to put tables end to end to, to line <laughs> wow. up the python. Um, and it's obviously a, a, a spectacular sight um, to see how big these, these snakes are when they're all laid out. So um, those are the ones that come to mind. But ev- what I also love about being at the at the vet school is every day is different you never know what you're gonna see coming around a corner or coming into the waiting room or showing up you know <laughs> showing up in the stalls so that's no, it's amazing very exciting well thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to come and speak to us today is there anything else you'd like to add no it's ab- absolutely my pleasure to come over here um, and just really to talk about um, I probably could talk endlessly about all the really good work that I'm proud of our teams at at the vet school there's so much going on that we could you know do endless shows about all the work that's going on there so I'm just so proud to have been part of the vet school I've been here over 20 years and um, again it's just a lot of good stuff happening on a day-to-day basis so thanks for letting me share of course thank you it was our absolute pleasure to have you on Dr. McPhail, the CSU Veterinary Teaching Hospital doctor. Thank you so much again for being on the show. We're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned because we have a mountain lion discussion and sports coming up next on the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll kind of guide you through it, too. (laughs) And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at KCSU. I am J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by that strange voice you heard in the background earlier. Emily Moshak, you did not realize the microphone was on. <laughs> Told you we were going on. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> right, JD? It, it really does. It really does. At least somebody hasn't turned off your mic. Yeah. So that, was, that was a problem, but yeah. it's not anymore. <laughs> we are joined in studio by our two lovely reporters. Katie Otter. And Ren Wattsworth. And we have a discussion today about something that you've most likely already heard about, which is the man who was running at Horsetooth when he got attacked from behind by a juvenile mountain lion. And instead of dying, like most of us would, (laughs) um, he fought it off with his bare hands and was able to climb back up the mountain to safety and get to the hospital. Now, I understand there's some controversy behind this, which sounds... A bit ridiculous. Man <laughs> fights a lot mountain lion and survives, but could you sort of 
give us the update on that. Yes. So a lot of people are angry that he killed the mountain lion. And not even necessarily specifically at him, but people are more angry that he was in a situation that even led to this attack. And they're saying Mm -hmm. that we should stop encroaching on mountain lion's territory, which would mean basically not really running or going to horse tooth anymore. (laughs) And they feel that it was unfair of us to have put the mountain lion in that situation. All right. And uh, if you guys want to hop in and join the discussion, you can always call or text in at 970-491-5278. We would love to hear what you have to say, especially since this is quite literally in our backyard. (laughs) So, Um, go for it, Katie. Go ahead. I was just going to comment on what people are saying about not, you know, encroaching on... I was going to say that, like, this doesn't... It's not like this happens all the time. I can maybe see that side of the point if this is happening every weekend. But when was the last mountain lion attack in Fort Collins? It was like 1990 or something like that, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. They're pretty rare. I'm definitely misquoting the date, but I believe it's in that time frame. I think the last one was 2000, actually. I take that back. Um, But that wasn't a fatal attack Uh, at all. Uh, Mm. So I think think that is a good point. And and these attacks don't happen that often. And people might say that that is actually like a cause because we're encroaching – we're, we're definitely keeping their population down, mm-hmm. and there aren't that many mountain lions. But at the same point in time, uh, they're, they're pretty prolific in, in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. As somebody who spent time in Horsetooth, I've definitely seen them there. I know they're okay. there. Um, but, y- y- you know, I, it's not ever been a situation where I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to fight this mountain lion. <laughs> right, thankfully. N- nor has the mountain lion ever been in that, in that case either. You know, you always have to keep your distance and respect. So obviously it's a very unique circumstance this, that this man found himself in. Right, this is very novel because usually the mountain lions also keep their distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they think the reason that happened is because it was a juvenile mountain lion. And I guess mountain lions, mothers will send their babies off to hunt for the first time around that age. And more experienced lions know not to approach humans. <laughs> they like to keep their distance. But as a like baby, I guess they don't have the ability to yet distinguish prey from, well, I guess we're still prey. But you know what I mean, <laughs> like different types of prey. So they think that's probably why it went for him. Um, my roommate spoke to someone who was like at the scene around the time when it happened. And I guess the runner saw the mountain lion, but he thought it was a deer because he just saw the brown movement in mm-hmm. the brush. So he just kept running. And so at first he didn't stop. And then when he ran past it, that's when it jumped on him. Um, but he was able to flip it around, and then st- he stomped on its neck until it died. <laughs> wow. Like, so he was, like, blocking his air voice with his foot. That is... <clears throat> that's just a scary situation to yeah. be in. And I think it's hard to blame him. I Like you said, not many people are, but it is hard to blame him for ending the mountain lion's life i mean what are you gonna do like you're gonna protect yourself as much as you can and i'm sure adrenaline is just coursing through your veins i agree i don't think there's much like it's either he was gonna go or the mountain lion right there was i think that's a little bit different when the mountain lion isn't actually attacking you there was Mm -hmm. another story um where they killed five mountain lions in a mountain town because they were acting aggressively Oh. And instead of, yeah, have you heard about that? Um, but it's around there. But instead of relocating them, they were all killed. It was like a mother and her four grown cubs. Um, but that I can see a little more because it's like, yes, they're acting aggressively, but they are in their... They're mountain lions. Yeah, they're in their they're, habitat. They're right. literally 
Yeah, how do you define aggressive behavior if it's not attacking you? Exactly. I don't saw that there mountain lion looking all scary in them <laughs> there bushes. You looked at me the wrong way. I mean, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the wrong way. I know, yeah, so I could see it. But in this case, I just don't get it. I'm like... We all go to Horse Tooth. We all mm-hmm. hang out at Horse Tooth. Mm-hmm. We all enjoy it. Yes, there's mountain lions around, but it's not like we're throwing ourselves into a lion's den with a piece of steak on our shoulders. <laughs> right. Like, right. Well, I, I, I feel like the argument at hand is that as humans are are more aggressively approaching natural areas and things like that, we're definitely, you know, decreasing the areas where these predators can go, uh, you know, without coming into contact with humans. So it's like, oh, we're sort of exposing them and us to each other and that might not be the best dynamic for their survival as well as growth as a species yeah and i understand that and i feel like we definitely need to respect wildlife but at the same time it always irks me when i see the argument like we need to respect like nature like they're natural and we're not and i'm like but we are natural (laughs) like we were born on this earth the same way all the animals were we technically are animals I mean, yeah, we're smart and we can use tools, <laughs> but I mean, we're technically not unnatural things. No, yeah. I, well, um, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go oh, ahead. sorry. You're well, fine. there's a difference too um, from building things in their environment and just being in their environment. Yeah. Like, very this true. was just a guy running in their environment or like people hiking in the mountains, which is very different from someone destroying their environment. And I think, especially living in somewhere so close to the mountains, we've always known that there are risks that there are animals that live there. And as long as you respect that and you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We haven't heard this guy complaining at all either. Like, Yeah, he's been quiet. Yeah, well, even, um, go, again, going back to the person I knew who was at the scene, he said that he was helping him. He didn't see the guy get attacked, but he found him, like, hiking back up. And he was like, oh, gosh, I got to take you to the hospital. And the guy goes, like, wait, I'm on such an adrenaline high. Can I finish my <laughs> run first? And really? the guy's like, no! <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, they, they made him go to the hospital. It's definitely somebody after my own heart. That, that Anybody that committed to running, I uh, bravo, sir. Right? Bravo. Yeah. But it's I not like he's complaining way. about being bit by a mountain lion. That's you know, like he knew it could have happened, and he was clearly prepared, I much more than I would have been. <laughs> I can't believe that. He was like, I want to finish my run. That's wild to me. That might be the most ridiculous thing that I've heard about this whole thing coming about. I would be in fetal position, like crying, if I <laughs> well, somehow survived. Oh man, he, Ad- adrenaline is cool one factor heck plus of a three. drug. Yeah, I know he is a cool guy. But if you'd like to chime in again, give us a call or text nine seven zero four nine one five two seven eight nine seven zero four nine one KCSU and let us know if you think that we need to do something about how close we're getting with the mountain lions here in Colorado. But in the meantime, I think we're going to get on over to sports, yeah? Our very own Ray McGowan has a lovely little update for us on what's down in Colorado town and all things sports-related here on 90.5 KCSU for Collins. Hi, my name is Ray McGowan, and this is your KCSU Sport Update. Starting off locally, today was Colorado State's football's Fight On event where head coach Mike Bubbo introduced 15 athletes that have joined CSU during the early signing period. Some noticeable names include junior transfer wide receiver Nate Craig Myers. Craig Myers played for Auburn his past two seasons and was once ranked number two for wide receivers by ESPN while in high school. Another name that plenty of Broncos fans will recognize is cornerback Keevan Bailey, son of former Denver Bronco and Hall of Famer Champ Bailey. Keevan had seven interceptions, 
42 solo tackles and three forced fumbles during his senior season. Other athletes from Colorado include Aiden Cohen, Cal Helbig, and Cyan Quiroga. The Mountain West officially released its football schedule for the 2019 season, and the Rocky Mountain Showdown will once again be the first game of the season for CSU. The game will be played on August 30th at Broncos Stadium at Mile High. CSU's home games include Western Illinois, Toledo, San Diego State, UNLV, Air Force, and Boise State. For the men's basketball team, CSU split two conference games, falling short against Boise State 70-68, while beating Air Force 85-53. Guard J.D. Page was named CSU's Athlete of the Week after he shot for 50% from the field and went 9-14 of 14 from three last week. Some big games are coming up this week for the Rams as they face off against Nevada tonight here in Fort Collins. Nevada is currently ranked 6th in the AP Top 25 poll. Other games include Wyoming on Saturday and San Diego State on Tuesday. On the women's side of the basketball, the Rams had similar results last week, losing to Boise State 70-57 and topping Air Force 55-48. The women's team shares the same schedule, facing off against Nevada tonight with Wyoming and Boise State next week. On Friday, the CSU track and field team showed up and showed out at the Colorado Invitational. Freshman Adam Dawson had a personal best in weight throw with a distance of 62 feet, 2 and a quarter inches, best in the competition by half a foot. Not to be outshined, senior Kelsey Bedard threw for 66 feet and 8 inches, over 5 feet more than the rest of the field. Senior Tara Vijaya Sarathi placed second in the women's triple jump. Freshman Lexi Keller for women's high jump, sophomore Antoine Ross-Jones in men's high jump, and Dalton Fox for the men's triple jump, each one-third. Moving on to Greater Colorado, the Denver Nuggets went 3-1 last week with wins over the New Orleans Pelicans, the Houston Rockets, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. They now sit at the second seed in the Western Conference under the Golden State Warriors. This upcoming week, the Nuggets will face off against the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers Friday, and the Miami Heat on Monday. The NBA trade deadline is also this Thursday, and KCSU will keep you updated on anything that happens to Colorado's own Denver Nuggets. Lastly, the Colorado Avalanche look to break their four-game losing streak after losing to the Canucks and the Blue Jackets last week. They will get that chance against the Capitals and the Islanders Saturday. This has been the KCSU Sports Wednesday Weekly Update. If you want to hear more, KCSU has three sports shows on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Thank you for listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am J.D. Layton. I am joined in studio by the co-hostess with the mostest. Emily Moshak. As well as our very own KCSU reporters. Katie Otter. And Ren Wadsworth. We, we have, yes, we have an update um, about the uh, stopped train. Um, the CSU public safety team has just published um, an update to let us know that the train remains stopped at Mulberry Street and that the traffic on the east side of campus is still blocked. Enter and exit campus from the west of Shield Street. Um, and public safety is also urging us to not crawl over or under the stopped train to enter or exit campus and to instead use the underpass below the railroad tracks behind Johnson Hall. You know, I would assume that you shouldn't crawl under trains, but it's, I'm glad that they're keeping <laughs> us uh, warned and safe. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, after what happened, it is important to know. And stay tuned with us here at KCSU because we'll have continued updates for you as the story develops. In the meantime, we have a special music segment from our lovely production director, Avery. And he'll have that up next. But stay tuned because after that, we'll have our reporter, Lauren, with your national newscast. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review music segment. I'm Ave Martin, KCSU production director and DJ. Today, I'm going to be talking about Outer Peace, Toro Imois' latest album and already one of my favorite albums of 2019. I know it's only been a month, but I can already see this album being in my top 10 of the year. The prolific, anachronistic Chaz Bear, better known as Toro Imois, explores the concepts of love, peace, contentment, balance, getting old, and working in the digital age in his latest project, Outer Peace. Thematically, Outer Peace will deeply resonate with anyone who has or is currently going through a quarter-life crisis. Through each track, Chaz is trying to break out of the shell of monotony. Though he's comfortable, he is constantly working, and he's using this as inspiration for those that are listening to him, the creatives that should never lose their creative spirit, despite the everyday minutia. He describes the album as less of a love heartbreak record, but more of a you can do it, motivational, life is hard because all you do is work type record. Sonically, this album is silky smooth. Though the album's sound leans more towards electronic than acoustic, it is far from inauthentic or artificial. Each song is drenched in color, and nearly every melody on Outer Peace is guaranteed to get stuck in your head. The first time I listened to the album's lead single, Freelance, I was wondering what Chaz was doing. It honestly sounded like he was just messing around in the studio, but it turned out to be one of the catchiest songs on the album. So who am I to question Toro? Because he knew exactly what he was doing. This song has been stuck in my head for the past month. In addition to the classic Toro y Moi, liquidy, beautiful falsetto melody, Chaz also takes a step out of his comfort zone, exploring sounds of electro pop, house, and even rap. On the tracks Monte Carlo and New House, Chaz tries his hand at the Migos-esque triplet flow and does so phenomenally. Overall, sonically and substantively, Toro y Moi's outer piece is a must listen. It most definitely serves as a great soundtrack to those who want to wear sweatpants every day and have a love-hate relationship with the internet. This has been the Rocky Mountain Review music segment with Abe Martin. Thanks for listening. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU FM. I am J.D. Layton, joined in studio by... Emily Moshak. As our, 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 the co-host of this uh, strange news parade that we have going on, as well as the our trombonist and, and uh, drummer. I'm just trying to think of things that go on the parade. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I'm Katie Otter, I guess I'm a trombonist. And I'm Ren Wadsworth, and I guess I'll be your drummer for the night. I feel like tuba players better, honestly. For me? Yeah. All Just right. in general. We're, I'm pretty we're short, so I'm not sure I can handle that pressure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe a piccolo or something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Piccolo, but pickle bro. Way, yeah. Aside from her piccolo skills, you also have something, our national newscast here for I us. I do indeed. I'm Ren Wadsworth, and this is your Thursday night national news. 
Newsday reports that recently the Army has begun developing a new fitness exam to make soldiers more combat ready. The exam is more complex and physically demanding than the current test that mainly consists of push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. In the past, older soldiers or women didn't have to do as much in order to meet the bar. However, that will soon change because the new exam will be both age and gender neutral because bullets on the battlefield don't discriminate. The reason for the change is proce- change in procedure is because in recent years, commanders have complained that soldiers straight out of basic training simply weren't physically or mentally fit enough for battle. Officials believe that the current fitness test does not properly measure what is needed on the battlefield. The new test will involve tasks that a soldier must do in combat, such as sprinting away from a fire, hauling cans of fuel to long distances, and carrying a wounded so- comrade on a stretcher. These skills will be tested through deadlifts, standing power throws, hand release push-ups, and a sprint drag carry. One thing still remains from the old test, however. Soldiers are still required to complete a two-mile run at the end of their test. Eli Rosenberg from the Washington Post tells us that tells us that under President Trump's direct orders, a line of razor wire has been installed across the top of the fence that divides Nogolas, a border town about, of about 20,000 in Arizona, from its sister city in Mexico. Troops had already visited this town right before the midterm elections, but have come again to install more wire onto the fence. Now there are six separate rows of wire coils covering almost any open space on the wall. Residents of the town are unhappy and believe that these actions are overkill and over the top. Towns like Nicolas that are on the border have been thrust into the center stage of the president's political ambitions, and citizens of Nicolas are not taking these actions lightly. A resolution was passed by the town city council that passed unanimously to formally condemn the wire, demanding it to be taken down. Residents are not only worried about the dangers of the wall of wire, which is sometimes as close as 10 feet to people's properties, but also say they are tired of feeling as if they live in a war zone. Many residents are angered because they feel this action, especially in light of the government shutdown, was, was done without asking any officials in the town. A resident named Arturo Garino stated that if they didn't call anybody, they just went and did it. They are not good stewards to our city, and that's not right. New York Times reporter uh, Giniana Belafonte discusses why a jail with no heating caused so much public outrage. The Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn recently lost electricity, leaving prisoners inside the jail crying out for help from the single-digit frost. Supporters soon rally around the jail, protesting the injustice of the inmates. Belafonte also points out that nearly 12,000 residents of New York, the Bronx, and Brooklyn were also living in these conditions as well, but lacked the same amount of attention or support. She rationalized that perhaps it is due to the lack of Due to the public becoming accustomed to how badly housing is managed, that left protesters reacting to something different. In lighter news, CBS tells us that uh, if you don't currently have plans for Valentine's Day, you no longer have to stress. The El Paso Zoo is now allowing people to name a cockroach after your ex, and then that cockroach will be fed to a meerkat at the zoo. If you message the zoo with your ex's name, you can watch live on February 14th as the bug is devoured in the Quit Bugging Me meerkat event. The zoo is calling it the perfect Valentine's Day gift. Whether this gift is to yourself or to that special someone was never revealed. However, the zoo also believes this is a fun way to get the community involved in our daily enrichment activities. So how many cockroach names will you be submitting this Valentine's Day? (laughs) That's all the news I have for you tonight. I'm Ren Wadsworth, and this was KCSU for Collins. 
Thank you so much, Ren, and uh, thank you for enlightening us on uh, such a, a wonderful story in regards to the cockroaches. That is I don't amazing. Have any names that I intend on sending, but just the mere thought of it fills me with joy. I may watch the live stream just uh, me too. just know, for kicks right? and giggles. That's so exciting. I'm also bummed out that the arm is changing its fitness standards because now that means I have to adjust my program for that. <laughs> yeah, Oof. that's true. Gonna. I know. New routine. It coming does up. make sense though. Yeah, it does. That's what they were doing before wasn't really helping them on the battlefield, apparently. It's true. I've uh, often wondered what push-ups have to do with soldiering, but there they are. Well, I think that's about all we have time for this show, except for there is one more important thing that you can't miss. (laughs) Do you want to give us the lovely introduction? There's that drum roll. It's time for weather. It's the weather. Weather. It is the weather. So it was cold today. I don't know if y'all noticed, but it was real chilly. We had a high of 11 degrees. Cold. Jeez. The worst. (sighs) Yeah, but tomorrow, I've got great news. (gasps) We're going to break freezing by one whole degree. It'll be a high of 33, partially cloudy, and a low of 12. And I'll tell you what, the weekend's... Looking slightly better, but not quite. Saturday is going to be a high of 39, still partly cloudy, with a low of 12 degrees again. And Sunday is going to have a high of 31, so we'll be back below freezing before you know it. The low of 13 degrees. Tuesday, or Monday, I'm not going to give you Tuesday. you got to tune into the review to find Tuesday. (laughs) Monday is going to have a high of 34 as well as a low of 13. So you better keep those jackets at hand, because it's going to be cold in Colorado. Four cons, it's cold. It's cold. <laughs> Layer up. I thought we were going to miss that cold spell. But I know, yeah, not. the vortex is coming for us. <laughs> Watch out, it's the 2019 polar vortex. It's coming for you <laughs> and your children. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, what a great weather. Well, thank you, JD, for doing that lovely oh. weather. And thank you to our reporters, Ren Wadsworth and Katie Otter, for your gorgeous reporting. Thanks to our production director, Abe for his music review, as well as Ray McGowan for his sports recap. And thank you to Dr. McPhail for sharing her time and expertise with us about Annie, the orphan kitten, who hopefully will not be orphans much longer. I'm I'm sure with a a tale like that, she'll find a home sooner rather than later. I think Mm -hmm. so. And thank you, Emily, for always being the co-hostess with the mostest. I know I say that the most, (laughs) but it's it's a phrase that's endearing. Thank you. Forever. (laughs) Thank you, Jamie. I try. (laughs) And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in and listening to all the news and tomfoolery that's engaged with in the Rocky Mountain Review. Keep that dial locked because it's going to be a long break before we come back on Tuesday. 